Welcome to PR for Humans. I'm Mike Sargent. I'm on a mission to transform business leaders into world-class speakers and media performers. I help them find powerful true stories to lift the trajectory of their ventures, add value and reach audiences with authenticity and impact. My new book is PR for Humans, How Business Leaders Tell Powerful Stories, released April 2019. If you want to know how I can help your business and your leadership sound more human and deliver stories more powerfully, then email me direct via mike at prforhumans.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, rate, review, follow, and share. There's no advertising here. This show is a labor of love and a gift to you. So if you're feeling generous, then let me know what you think. Share the love, share the knowledge, stay human, and stay curious. Welcome to another edition of the show, and I'm delighted to be here with Tony Langham, who is the co-founder of Lanson's. Tony, when was Lanson's? 1989. Uh, 1989. 30 years this year. 30 years. Wow. Congratulations. (laughs) And and as most people listening to this um, podcast will be aware, it's a very well-known PR agency in London. And um, you operate corporate communications. What else do you do, Tony? Yeah, we're um, we're fast-growing in employee engagement, uh, work inside an organisation, I would define us as a, as a reputation management agency with a fast-growing content marketing capability. So lots of work currently around purpose and what organisations stand for and what they believe in. Yeah, and and you've just published this 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 wonderful book uh, called Reputation Management: The Future of Corporate Communications and Public Relations. Um, so just just tell us a little bit about about the book, Tony, and what you set out to do in this book. Well, the book's uh, part of a series um, pub- uh, um, commissioned by the PLCA, the, the main trade body in the UK, and ECO, the global um, trade body for our industry, published by Emerald. Um, and it's meant to be a practitioner's guide um, for reputation management, and that's the subject. I see that as the future of public relations, corporate communications. I mean, I don't... I don't myself have a problem with what the term public relations stands for and what it means, but what it's come to mean in business life, get some PR, I need a PR agency, hand this over to the PR people, I think that doesn't sum up what organisations need in, in the modern world. What organisations are looking for from marketing services is either a better reputation, the thing that enables them to be listened to more than other organisations, price their product higher, go into new areas more effectively, just that extra thing that means you're drawn to an organisation, that's what they're looking for and that's why I think what we do is reputation management rather than PR or corporate communication. Because PR has this, you know, it's a bit of a, a dirty word or dirty term to some people, that's just PR or it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's PR attempt to somehow disguise the truth. Now, you and I know that's that's not what public relations means most of the time, or shouldn't mean. Uh, but still, what you know, you are putting the focus very firmly on reputation rather than rather than public relations, although the two are are entwined. Yeah, I, I I think I could be persuaded to say PR is part of reputation management. If I if I if I say that PR will carry on existing, I'm not sure personally that it will be a term that will carry on forever. Um, but the crucial difference is that. I've found in my job over the last five years, I think to do it properly, I have to be talking to organisations about their behaviour and about their culture, and I have to be saying, you should do more of that, or you shouldn't be doing that, 
And when we're talking to organisations about changing their behaviour, I don't think that is a PR subject or a communication subject. So I think it's, I think the best of us have kind of moved, if, if you like, have moved up a level inside organisations because reputation has become so important and so fundamental. Mm. So, so having a good reputation is not just about the way that you project a set of messages or the way that you present your story to the world. It goes much deeper than that. Absolutely, it's about it's about who you are, what you do, uh, and and. I think I like the Christine Lagarde phrase: uh, "Doing the right thing when uh, she wants bankers to do the right thing when nobody's watching." And I mm. think that's that's a good a good way of what probably all organisations want. Mm. And reputations, you know, it's, it's often said that they take a lifetime to build and seconds to lose or, or, or something. I mean, let's talk about the the reputation building building part first of all. I mean, what what advice would you have for a company that said came to you and said? We want to have a better reputation. What would be some of the sort of the thought processes you'd go through and some of the questions you'd ask at that point? I think it must be rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so it must be about what they actually do um, and what they are and what they stand for and, and what their culture is. I think if they, if they have a physical product, I mean, it's easy to take a, you know, according to the Reputation Institute, the organisation with the best reputation in the world is Rolex. I think it would be easy to say, well, the watches have to be great, but in, in the modern world, they probably have to be manufactured sustainably. The people manufacturing them have to be paid properly. Um, uh, Rolex probably has to pay taxation properly in, in all the areas that it, that it works. Um, and, and that will be the first phase, is just finding out which of those pieces are in place. I think that... Um, so, um, <laughs> to go to the um, suffragette maxim, I think deeds, not words, is mm. probably is something that I feel, I feel really, really strongly about. Um, but then if we stand back, we're not, if, if, as I say to people here, if the average company is by definition average, um, they don't come to us asking for an average reputation. They come to us asking for a better than average reputation. Yes. So I think, it, I, think it's, I think it is possible to talk about where organisations are going and it is possible for, for reputations to be slightly aspirational and ahead of the curve, but they, can't, they have to be rooted in reality. But they can be their best self, I think it is possible, for, for, some, for us all to be our best selves rather than our worst selves. And I think that's probably what we're, what we're seeking to do with mm. organisations. And is this a surprise to some people how, 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 how deep this stuff has to go? And they might come to you saying, you know, we, we want to be, to be liked or we want the customers to understand us or our stakeholders to understand us and, and they're thinking it's a PR, it's a comms type job and you're telling them actually there's some deep sort of behavioural things, sense of purpose of your business, the, the values that run through your business, all those things are important. Is that a surprise to people or, or do people kind of understand that now? I think it, I think it depends. I don't think everyone understands that now. Uh, I think that in fact there's a, there's a long way to go. I mean I, the example I would use, we, about 60% of our business is in financial services so in financial services, across our client base with with senior executives, you would expect their sort of their bonus scope to be sort of from twenty five percent of salary to two hundred percent of salary. So the behaviours that that lead to getting two hundred percent of salary as a bonus, I'd argue, affect everyone's behaviour. Mm-hmm. So so to truly talk about their reputation, you actually need to understand what the remuneration policy is of, of, of a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and only if the remuneration policy makes sense with the, the aspiration is, it, is, 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 the, is the reputation going to be in any way real. Mm. And the other point that comes across in, in your book is that reputation is a, is a complex beast. And 
you may have a reputation for one thing, but you may want a reputation for another thing. Or, you know, everyone at any time has kind of got multiple reputations, don't they? And the Rolex is, is, a, is a good example. They've got a reputation for being uh, a watchmaker, but also a reputation for luxury or a reputation for, you know, as you say, being an em- employer. So d- do we have to distinguish those different types of reputation or c- can we take reputation as one kind of rounded mission, if you like? I think... There has to be a core because I don't think we I don't think we that's common to all that that is the organisation's purpose, its culture, some guidance on how its people are supposed to behave or, or, or preferably people are living a set of values. I think that has to be a core. But but there are several tools people can use. I mean, I'm quite taken by um, the book The Reputation Game, written by um, David Waller and, and Rupert Younger. Which yes, and R- Rupert w- came on this this podcast, so uh, yeah, and, and uh, he spoke about. It, but yeah, carry on. Yeah. So the, so the the character uh, the, the the character the character and a, cap- a character reputation and a, and a capability reputation, mm. which you very clearly can see in the case of, of Volkswagen, mm. where you can see that that VW car sales haven't been hit. So people's belief in VW as making reliable cars has been maintained. But but if you talk to regulators and governments that's not at all how they see VW so it's it's clear that there's a a different character reputation with some audiences than there is a capability reputation with other audiences Mm. and you know I I, for sake of argument I'll accept the reputation institute sort of theory that that organizations have eight probably most organizations have eight audiences that matter to them Um, and yeah there are going to be differences in those audiences but I think there's got to be a core. Mm. And and it does get more complicated when we start talking about corporate reputation doesn't it so when we're talking about individuals you can you can have a good sense of what an individual's reputation is but then we t- translate it into a corporate context and yes say the reputation of the man or woman at the top is a part of it but only part of it and reputation has to run in so many different directions so I suppose my question is you know in a world where we're increasingly looking for CEOs and leaders to, to stand up and, and stand out how important is the sort of CEO reputation bit to the reputation of the whole organisation? Yeah, well, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I'm slightly against the... There's a drift in sort of the world's leading corporate agencies to kind of to say it's all about the chief executive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... There's a type of organisation where it is, you know, and, and many of the great organisations have been have been very strongly run um, sometimes even dictatorially by by one person you know if we think of Walt Disney or we think of Sony or we think of this, the fusing of personality Jeff Bezos and Amazon Richard Branson and Virgin I think many great organizations have 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 been synonymous with the reputation of the of, 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 of the of the founder so there's those mm-hmm. types of organizations for others you know take an HSBC or a Rolex I don't think that's the case at all in in, in the widest wider society just with key exceptions. Um, so I think capital markets and the city, it's crucial because, as we know, all organisations are valued on not what they do today, but what people... It's a guessing game about what organisations are going to do, be doing in two, three, four years' time financially. That clearly revolves around having the right strategy and the right leadership team. So there, the, the leadership team and the leader is crucial. And I think with employees, um, and then that's an interesting area because... Organisations are how their employees react with the outside world, and I think I believe all of the metrics that say belief in the leader or belief in the strategy of the organisation is fundamental to being able to perform for that organisation. Mm-hmm. So there, leaders are really important. And and how much of the reputation, the external reputation, is actually um, is is won and lost inside the company? 
with, with the way that the the company is being led, with the communications inside in the business and within the sort of team building the values. I mean, that's that's a lot of it, isn't it? And the external stuff is almost just the way in which all of that is presented to the world. I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot, and I think it's. It's complicated, but it's one of the reasons why we've seen a faster turnaround of, of leaders, I think. Um, I think leaders have to be credible. Um, and in difficult times like this, it's, it's, it's a really interesting leader question about whether you go into, as a British company, if you go into 2019, it's really interesting how gung-ho you would be with your own people. I mean, you know, if you... You know, probably anybody once can say this is going to be a great year, we're going to buck the trend, we're going to outperform everybody else, your bonuses are going to be at the top end of what you expect. But it would be quite a bold call to, to make that, I think, and probably someone that makes that call, many people that make that call, probably won't be in their job in two years' time because they won't be able to be. Mm. Um, I think I, I, It's funny because I reflect on it, because I've, I've been a chief executive of the same organisation for 30 years, so I, I can't say that about 2019. I mean, one, because I don't know, but two, because... You know, I I need to have a relationship of credibility with 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 the senior people here. Yes, absolutely. Um, reputation management is is sometimes a um, an idea that um, people have differences of opinion on about whether you can actually manage this thing called reputation, which is uh, quite fuzzy and it's quite sort of. Um, soaked in your own viewpoint and your emotions and it's also something that is external to you you know it's what people think of you and your business is not something that you have direct authority over and therefore some some argue can't manage reputation so don't don't even try to pretend that you can but you, you you disagree on it I completely disagree but 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 I I think the arguments are really interesting ones so in the book I've deliberately allowed people who who think it can't reputation can't be managed to have a voice and and to articulate why they think that so there are several places where 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 people cast doubts on on reputation management existing um I disagree for the simple point that we're all managing reputation anyway. Um, I mean, we, if we represent an organisation, we react with the outside world, we make decisions. You know, the decisions we make impact the behaviour of our organisation and its reputation. So we're all doing it anyway because we're all making the decisions that lead to the reputation. So it's better to, to think about it and do it consciously than it is to just let it happen. So I think I think that would be my that'd be my main argument. Um, but underneath it all I don't I don't want it to be seen as any concept of spin. It's about being a great organisation. You know, to have mm. a great reputation, you do need to be a great organisation. Mm. Um, but I but you do also have to communicate well as well. Yeah, and I think that's um that's something I, I go into a bit in my book. The, the importance of stories um still there you know have been since the beginning of time will always be there and you've got facts you've got real things and then the stories how do you actually present them to the world and and tell them and and so I guess you know for you and for for the people who work in this industry understanding those two things you know first you've got to be great you've got to have great values you've got to do the right thing but secondly you've got to tell the world about it in an interesting way still that bit of PR hasn't gone away has it it hasn't gone away at all arguably it's Arguably, it's never it's never been more important because there 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 isn't much of a I think there isn't much of a technological sort of lead in terms of disseminating information. I mean, clearly some people do it better than others, but the idea that 
someone has greater access to, to, to people, to the internet, to Facebook than somebody else. I mean, there are odd periods where people do, but by and large, I think that cancels out. So then we're just judging on interesting things versus not interesting things. Mm. Um, and, and there you can see a huge difference in the way organisations use film and the organisations that have no sense of humour um, can't, be, can't be light and airy, um, can't be chatty. I mean, there, there is a, there's a sort of neuroscience of language, I think, that if you, if you ignore, you, you, will, you are limiting your reputation. So I think there is a there are there are there are things in neuroscience, the things we know about the brain and human reaction. We can see behavioural economics, things that, that lead people to do one thing rather than another. I think organisations have to be harnessing those things to their great stories as well. Mm. Um, and t- tell me about the process of, of writing this book, Tony. I mean, it must must be interesting to kind of be doing this stuff for decades, really, and then getting to the point where you're putting some of it down on, on paper. How, how was that? Did, did you have total clarity about what you, you, you thought by the time you started writing? Or was, the, was the writing the book, did that bring you greater clarity or new revelations? Or you know, explain how it, how it came into being? I'd love to ask you the same question after. But for, for me, um, I did have a process. So I, I hadn't read the great reputation management books, PR books that are on the market. So I sat down with um, Amazon and um, read some reviews and bought 10 books Mm. and then read them all um, to see what was out there. So that was really important to me. And out of that, I love some of those books. I've already mentioned The Reputation Game. I particularly loved a book called Reputation Management by by US practitioner academics, John Dawley and Fred Helio Garcia. Um, so I found that I, there were books that I really liked. Um, and if I found something like definitions, I used John Dawley's definition of reputation in the book. If I found definitions, I just used them because I didn't see any point in, in reinventing something that had been done well. So I read other people's books. What I took out of the books was that I've never read a business book that wasn't four times too long, written by one person, so I wrote a quarter of the book, yeah. because I think that mostly the, the last three quarters are just making an argument book size. Mm-hmm. So my 20,000 words that I would have had to make 60,000, I didn't. I just made 20,000. And I could write, and I, once I'd planned them, I wrote my 20,000 words in four weeks, um, but, but it has taken me 35 years to write them in four weeks. Yeah. But what I really wanted was to reflect the best in our industry through the rest of the book and, and, and you know, sort of discharge my, my trust to ECO and the PRCA. So I've got, I have 81 contributors. That took seven months of really hard work, getting 81 contributions. So I have 39 case studies where I went to, uh, in, from 27 countries across six continents, I went to the best agencies, people that had been voted the best agencies, some people I knew, great mix of men and women I went to about 200 people and said I'd love a case study but you had to name the organisation the task and the date and and it took that long to get 39 so that was hard and then I and then I wanted other people's viewpoints and so I, there's 27 essays in the book and mm. I just love some of the people I went to I mean I know you know Dame Helen and Morrissey writing about women you know two two global best-selling authors Anthony Horowitz writing about James Bond being able to interview Kate Moss um, about her about her books and 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 her views on women and reputation, so just and many more that I could mention. So that was mm. just that was a wonderful part, and I think it comes alive by having other people's views. And I I think it's knitted together in a narrative where the other the, the views fit, mm. um, and I've tried to order them so it it makes sense. But that the bit I truly love was the the seven months interaction with. 
250 to 300 people to get 81 contributions. Mm. No, no, it works, it work, and it works very, very well. And you're, you're the you're the little guide leading us through. But, but as, as you say, you allow other viewpoints space to breathe and that sense of, of great authority from the kinds of people who are, who are contributing. So it's a, it's a good guy. And, and, I, and I, you've had some, some good um, responses to it already. Okay. Yeah, but I know yeah. I've had a PR place with a very nice review. Um, yeah. So I'm very grateful to, to, to them. I um, oh, it's too early. I've had one review on Amazon, but it is a five star review, and it does yeah. it highlights one of uh, one of the areas I spend a lot of time thinking about. In in, in it highlighted the I wrote a a sort of a, a one size fits all agenda for a board away day um, entitled um, engaging with an unequal society which mm-hmm. i i feel is business's responsibility i think i think capitalism and 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 businesses that believe in capitalism actually have a have a responsibility and 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 self interest in explaining how society works but also engaging with inequality because it is their business and it is in their interest to do that much more than they currently think mm. and i was pleased to see that highlighted because it was a bit that it's something i talk a lot about and i believe in and i i think it's important yeah another thing that's really important i i think is um to lift a little the lid a little bit on on this world that that you and and i inhabit uh, particularly for younger people who are you know, coming into the industry, or people like me who joined something called public relations or corporate communications a few years ago, but after a long career in journalism, 18 years in, in my case. And at that time, I, I had no idea what it was all about, you know, no, no clue at all. And, and you do think it'll be a lot of interaction with journalists and the media relations side, which is... Yeah, it's still still important, but is only a small um, part of this whole kind of reputation game that we're in. So I think you know, for, for for people who are entering this industry, if you could call it an industry, I think this is this is incredibly useful. And I'd, I'd love to have read this, you know, in 2014 um, to give me some sense of uh, you know where where I was going. Yeah, well, I, I think that's really interesting. I did. When I thought about the the book, I, I did um, I did think about um, students and, and people entering the industry. I mean, here we it's a principle of of Lanson's that we that we take um, probably they're mostly second jobs, but we take second job people, and we we have about an average of eleven at any one time in the organisation. So we are we want to be training people for for a career. So it's it, it's something that matters to us as a business. Um, I go back to the university I went to, um, University of Birmingham, and I and I give a lecture and a, and a workshop um, once a year to to, to to communication students in the in the business school, mm. and I did I was able to ask them what what they look for, and and, and case studies was the number one thing, mm. so. Um, so lots and lots of case studies. So that that sort of was an extra push for the you know the centre section, the best of the best with the the thirty nine case studies because I'd, I'd got that in the back of my mind that last year's workshop with with students saying that was something they were interested in. Mm. And so you, you as you said at the beginning, you, you set up this um, agency. Do you call it an agency? What? Yeah, I, I probably do. I yeah. mean, I, I, I probably yeah. should. I probably should think I should say consultancy yeah. but, but I can easily say agency I can easily say firm as and, well and you've done 30 years <laughs> and, and if you were trying you know trying to start again today would 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 you try and do it all over again or what you know would it is it, is it would it be madness for someone to start an agency now in 2019 has the world moved on what are your reflections on 
the decisions you took back then and whether you, you, anyone could replay that? Um, I, I mean, for me personally, I, I, I live for today and tomorrow, slightly too much for tomorrow and slightly not enough for today. So I, I'm not one for sitting around um, thinking about the past, although funny enough here, that's very important to us. So we... You know, Claire and I, the, the other co-founder, Claire Parsons, who, who, who's, who's our chairman, um, uh, and also uh, my, my partner in, in life. Um, you know, we, we took someone out who'd been here 25 years for dinner with a, with a selection of friends, you know, past and present colleagues last night. So we do here have a, have a sort of a, a respect the past sort of thing about Lansons. I... I'm happy with everything I did. The only thing I've become conscious of, and, and in, in sort of having, you know thinking about the story, writing the book, the story of Lansons for for our thirtieth coming up, is that we we were twenty eight and thirty one, but we were remortgaging a flat and taking money out of that. So so that's already, a, and we didn't start with any money. You know, we didn't have any family money. So. As ordinary 28 and 31 year olds in London in 1982, we were able to remortgage a flat and take money out. And I'm conscious of that simply probably isn't possible mm. for 28 and 31 year olds now. We got took out our makes gold cards, or I did, with a £10,000 overdraft limit, um, and that was the working capital. So I think uh, when, it, when I tell the story, I realised that we were able to do two things that maybe aren't just aren't possible at the moment mm. in, in, in London life, which is a shame. Um, we would definitely do it again, but then we were in it together. And for us, the thing that seems to surprise people, but we don't get surprised by, is that we both knew that if it hadn't worked within a number of months, we were going bankrupt and, and our flat would have been repossessed. Um, and that seemed fine. So mm. we, would, we made that decision together. It wasn't a big decision. It didn't take long to make it. And we were both perfectly happy with it. Mm. And, and I'm conscious that that, to me, that's... That, that's the big thing. If 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 you're happy to if you're happy with the risk, I think go for it. Yeah. But I'm conscious that we were also pre-children. Mm. So when you start to put those other things together, the average age of an entrepreneur in Britain, I think, has gone up since that time, despite all our you know, continued focus on 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 sort of fintechs and dot coms and other types of things. I think the average age of an entrepreneur is well into the forties now. And then those kind of things are, are much bigger decisions, I think, post children. Losing everything when you've got something is probably a much harder decision than well, losing I'm everything a, when you've I'm not a got case much. In point of that. But anyway, um, it's not about me. Um, and when you look back you know, thirty years, I mean what what do you think then of this of the of, of the model? I mean one thing that um does strike me sometimes looking at the at the um the PR and comms and reputation world full of these agencies is that agencies kind of, you know, they have this growth trajectory and they get bigger and bigger. Um, some of them do successful ones. And then it's often quite hard to find that steady state of, you know, you employ this number of people and you've got this. Do you have to grow to survive or can you sort of grow and shrink and grow? And, you know, is, is there a sort of nice, stable position where, you know, you've got a certain number of employees and you've got a certain number of clients and it's, it's happy days. Or do you always have to kind of push on and, and try and find more? And I, mean, I want to say you don't, but, but I am, I'm, I'm conscious that humanity has a, has a, you know, we say when we're marketing, you know, if, you, if, if people want to feel people like them are doing the same thing. So there's no doubt in the in the agency world, um, if you're winning lots of clients, you tend to win more. 
And if you're losing clients, you tend to lose more. So there's no doubt that that comes into play. So if those if those things are in the market, then you tend to be going one way or the other. And I've I've always I've always felt that the kind of things I sort of feel have changed. So the employment laws have got more stringent yeah, um, than they were. Um, you know the, the European legislation, equality legislation. You know, greater levels of compensation mean that there are greater costs to being an employer now. Um, British business and Europe, West, actually not British, Western European business being under pressure for margin has taken root, and 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 the rise of procurement has come out of that, which is which has, you know, re- reduced agency margins. So you have a world where margins are, are challenged in in the agency world. You have a world where the cost of employment is higher. So businesses have to be. I have to be slightly, unfortunately, slightly more serious, and I, I might say slightly more dreary, just mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it, it is more of a, it, it is a, it is a lower margin business, and the the and that's where the the network agencies and the agencies that are part of, for instance, WPP Omnicom Publicis, that's where they are under much greater pressure because they tend to be promising, you know, they're quoted companies mm-hmm. valued on the future. They tend to be promising 10-15% growth year on year, top line and profits. They tend to be wanting to take some money from individual operating agencies and pull it back to the centre. And really, those things are not are not possible actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we see that's where we see lots of crises in the marketing services quoted world where it, it's it's I think not possible to deliver those things at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony, I've, I've really enjoyed this um, conversation. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Congratulations again on, on the book, which I, I can highly recommend to anyone listening. And um, congratulations on 30 years of Lanson's. When, yeah. when is the actual date for that? Well, <laughs> there are three. There's the date the class started by herself yeah. with her clients, yeah. which is around June. Yeah. There's the date when um, she allowed me to join because I'd won a client, um, which was September. And then there's the date when we um, unveiled ourselves to the world as Lansons, which is November. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> three months, so thanks yeah. very much. <laughs> we have three parties. Um, good luck with all of that. And thanks again. Yeah, thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.